Welcome back to another episode of the Finest Hours podcast. I'm Braden Cromar, joined by my co-host Hayden Hansen and our executive producer, Skylar Williams. Hello, everyone. Hello. Hello. I think everyone's probably like eight people at this point. Three <laughs> of them are us. I haven't looked at the analytics lately, but uh, at one point we had listeners in like 27 centuries. That was just on the Spotify platform. I don't even... I don't even really look at on the Apple platform. I probably should, but Spotify is a pretty nice dashboard for analytics. Maybe in the 11 months since we've recorded, uh, Apple has improved. (laughs) I wonder wonder how many people are going to get notifications about a new episode and be like, what? That's still a thing. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. I remember. All all 27 countries. The last time we recorded, it was winter and it's winter again. We just have a thing about summer and uh, not sitting behind a computer. And you guys like to have babies. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. That's Skylar. Mm. That's not me. I haven't had a baby since May 21. You act like it's been so long. <laughs> Got a year and a half. <laughs> and he's a, a year and a half now. Old house. All right. Well, welcome back. Happy to be back. It's been a bit of a delay, but uh, here we are again with another episode. And we're talking about. There's a lot. There's a lot here. You can't sum this guy up in one word. But uh, he is the inspiration for the Robinson Crusoe novel. He's a pirate from Scotland, and I think this is our first Scotsman. Oh, I would hope so. Yes. If we did somebody else before him, that'd be lame for him. Good for somebody else, I guess. We have done a pretty good job of spreading these stories out across the globe. It's Scotland's turn. Was Shackleton English or Irish? I feel like he's English. He's English. So this is in the same, this is kind of in the same mold as the Ernest Shackleton story, which was one of my favorite episodes. So I'm happy that we're, we're doing this. Right on. Well, I'll give you a little bit of background on this lovely man. So his name is Alexander Selkirk. He was born way back in 1676, which I don't know that we've done very many this far back either. I feel like we may have done one other that was in this range. It's hard to go back. They don't have much information about them. Unless they're mega famous, which are the individuals that we're kind of trying to avoid on the podcast. This guy basically comes up every time that there's a castaway movie or something like that. Everybody then refocuses on him. Yeah, I mean, we've done some stuff in the Civil War era, and this is like another hundred years behind that. And I don't think we have any episodes in between 1700s and the civil wars yeah long long ago so like i was saying born in 1676 born in fife scotland and so he was the son of a shoemaker and a tanner and at the age of 17 he got into a bit of trouble with the church because the church saw that there was some indecent conduct He was summoned before the Kirk session, but he didn't show because he had already left for a life on the seas. His initial life was composed of buccaneering at an early age in his late teens. And buccaneering 
was basically pirating. And so they would go about and plunder and would engage other ships and try to take trophy ships and loot them. They would primarily focus on Spanish vessels. Eventually, he gathered enough experience in his time at sea that he joined the expedition of a privateer. And the difference between a privateer and a buccaneer is basically who's sponsoring you. So privateers were sponsored by the government and were encouraged to go about causing mayhem at the high seas and stealing from the Spanish. Which one did he have more fun with? Buccaneering or privateering? Probably buccaneering because privateering for a hot sec didn't go so well for him. (laughs) There's rules, right? (laughs) (laughs) One of them has rules and the other doesn't. Yes, exactly. It's like playing street ball versus playing an organized sport with referees. <laughs> oh, <the> refs. <laughs> can actually get in trouble. And so eventually he does join the voyage of a privateer named William Dampier. During this voyage, they sailed all the way around Cape Horn. Cape Horn is the southern tip of South America. So they were a long way from home. They sailed around Cape Horn and encountered a French vessel. And at the time, the French had allied with the Spanish. And so they end up in a bit of a fight. The French flee into the Pacific. And Selkirk and his compatriots worried that they would warn the Spanish of their arrival. The French were not the powerhouse that they needed to be afraid of. But if they were running to the Spanish, that was a powerhouse that they needed to fear. And they were worried that they, it would be known that there was an English vessel sailing into the, into the Pacific. I still fear the Spanish. <laughs> For worthy <Right>. cause? <laughs> For this we... very reason. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the French are always against the English. So like, no matter what, <laughs> like the English are like, oh, we're not really afraid of the French, but whoever the French are partnered with, we're more afraid of. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. For hundreds of years, the French and the and the English were always fighting each other. Rarely did that change. Like a big brother, little brother moment. They end up heading up along the coast. They do some plundering along the western coast of South America. They make it all the way up to Panama at one point and actually plunder a village. So they not only were going after ships, but they would go after anywhere that had money that they wanted, whether it be on land or at sea. Eventually, they had to land for some repairs on an island off the coast of Chile. It is called Mazatierra, and it is an island in the Juan Fernandez archipelago. Archipelago? Anybody know how to say that? I think you pronounced it right the first time. Archipelago. <laughs> Thank you, Skyler. <laughs> Thank you, Skyler. <laughs> At one point, they land, and they needed some repairs to the ship. They make some of those repairs. So after they've landed on Mazatierra, Alexander Selkirk speaks to his captain after the repairs and says that the ship is still not seaworthy. He says that he would rather spend his time on the island than on a ship that is leaking as bad as theirs. To which the captain says, that can be arranged. And he ends up telling Selkirk that he's going to abandon him on the island and hands him a 
couple of items to survive. And Alexander Selkirk says, look, I regret what I said. It was in the heat of the moment. And his very unforgiving captain says, yeah, I don't care. Selkirk ends up being abandoned on this island. And it's not a very lovely place. It's not tropical or anything like that. It is Southern Pacific, but it's not the dreamy island that you might picture. The high throughout the year is about 67 degrees, but the low does only go down to about 47. And this would be in Fahrenheit. 47 to 67 degrees Celsius might kill you, I think. Yes, it would. (laughs) We should talk about the items that Captain Straddling left behind with Selkirk. A musket, a hatchet, a knife, a cooking pot, a Bible, some bedding, some cl- and some clothes. And that was it, right? That is everything that he was said to have been left with by the captain. Interestingly enough, in 2005, there was an expedition to the island. I'll call it an expedition. It wasn't to the island, but on the island. that some people went out and were essentially a group of archaeologists that were looking for historical items and they actually came across some brass navigation items and they were thinking that they probably belong to Selkirk because it's unlikely that a lot of other people would have been on that island and left them there it's possible but they were looking in the area where they believed that Selkirk spent most of his time on the island and so it's possible that he had other items with him But that is what the captain ended up leaving with him for survival. But he may have had other personal possessions that he kept as well. Probably exaggerated a little bit. Yeah, he probably didn't get a musket. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't get a musket. I had to run everything down. (laughs) Braden, tell us a little bit about his early days on the island. So Selkirk's first days on the island were spent kind of just hanging out eating spiny lobsters and sitting on a beach, scanning the seas, waiting for signs of rescue that never came. Don't know how many days he was on the island before sea lion mating season was upon them. And he was driven inland by a bunch of sea lions that were uh, using the beach for their mating grounds. What do they call that? Is that like rutting where you have, like if you encounter like a buck... That's what we deal with, right, Utah? If you're out in the mountains and you encounter like deer or moose during like rutting season, that they basically see anything moving and want to fight. That's how I picture these sea lions is one would come onto the beach, see him and start like waddling over to him as fast as it could at like two miles an hour. And he's like, ah! (laughs) I would have gotten out of there too. So he, he moves into the interior and it was a pretty significant improvement over his life on the beach. I mean, obviously he wasn't able to scan the seas as easily, but I think at this point he had probably resigned to the fact that, you know, he's probably going to be on this island for a while. So although the island and archipelago were completely barren of human life, old ships had actually let goats loose on the island. Don't know why, but there were goats on the island and they had apparently flourished and there are a lot of goats hanging out on this island. So he had, uh, he had a food source available to him. He hunted them and domesticated some for milk. On the island, he was also able to find cabbage, wild turnips, and how do we pronounce this, Hayden? I think it's Skinnis fruit. Skinnis fruit, which are... from a bush. 
which are pink peppercorns. Um, and Hayden was kind enough to insert this random fact. The FDA had actually had a ban on pink peppercorns at one point. Don't know why. Didn't elaborate, but perhaps you would be so kind as to do so, Hayden. Oh, I do have something I can elaborate on this. The FDA actually had an issue with pink peppercorns. Don't know why specifically, but pink peppercorns, there's three different varieties. One found in Brazil, one found then on the West Coast over in like Chile and on this island that's off their coast. But then there's one other place and it's actually in Madagascar, which is a French was a French territory. The FDA actually had some sort of disagreement with the French and told the French that they needed to state that pink peppercorns were basically not good for your health. And the French refused to do so. They stood their ground. And this is where the French will stand their ground on items (laughs) of food and culinary details. (laughs) And the FDA at this point, I think, has removed their ban on pink peppercorns. So silly. So silly. (laughs) Very interesting. The French are very good at getting into little, little fights and big fights too. They're just good at getting into fights. Yeah, they are. (laughs) Okay. So Selkirk ended up building a couple of huts. One of them was for sleeping and the other one was for cooking. During the nights, he ended up getting attacked by massive rats on the island. Actually, I don't know how big they were. I just imagine they're being big, but getting attacked by these rats. But luckily, prior sailors that came to the island who left the goats, they also ended up leaving cats. So Selkirk domesticated the feral cats, and that's how he controlled his rat situation. Pretty clever. I don't want to be eaten by rats either, so... I mean, could you imagine you've figured out all of this stuff? You've got goats, you've got a meat source, you have these cool peppercorns that the FDA doesn't like. You're kind of a rebel, but you get eaten by rats. Like what a way to go out if that is how it ends up going down. (laughs) I'm sure that's part of the reason he ended up building two huts. He's like, no, maybe if I move my food over to this other hut, I'm eaten, but... Yeah, how close were the huts to each other? I mean, maybe the food was attracting the rats. I don't believe that they were very far from each other, ultimately. He built them out of the plant that the peppercorns grew on. So they're like big bushy shrub type plants. I don't think that they were super far apart. They were definitely in the same corner of the island. He wasn't... (laughs) He's trekking the whole island. (laughs) He wasn't trekking the whole island to get to his food. But that definitely could have been an issue. And he he has to figure out how to stop dropping, you know, crumbs as he's eating onto the ground. And then he would have been better, I'm sure. Well, if, if he would have been left a fork, I don't think he would have had as many rat problems. <laughs> I think he had some cats then. He got lucky. One of the other challenges that he ended up facing was that he had a limited supply of gunpowder and ammunition. Eventually, he was running extremely low on gunpowder and made the decision that he was going to figure out how to chase and hunt the goats on foot. And so he nearly died in one such engagement. He ended up falling from a cliff. But he got lucky because somehow a goat landed beneath him. which I find is is absolutely hilarious. And so in some of the writings you find about this moment, the goat is described as his prey. And it's like 
he landed on his prey, which I just find absolutely hilarious. The goat broke his fall, and he didn't break his back. So he ends up in a ton of pain and basically doesn't move for 24 hours before he starts moving around again. The goat was not so lucky, and Alexander Selkirk had dominated a species on foot. He is now top dog without a gun. This is one of those other parts that are exaggerated. He, he totally had gunpowder left. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no one else was here to validate the story. He was just like, yeah, man, I chased a goat off the cliff. Killed it. <laughs> Allegedly, I fell off. <laughs> Landed on top of the goat. No, Saved but like, life. think about how cool that is. Is like, he is taking care of himself so well that he can hunt down these goats and not have to worry about like wasting energy or anything like that so like in his prime surviving <laughs> chasing down goats he would have owned that what is that show survivor everybody shows up on the island he's in peak condition he was made for that show <laughs> he's already there depends on how the writers wrote him in <laughs> yeah all right he makes it back eats the goat presumably time passes by Hangs out on the island, kills goats, does what he does. Um, And his clothes eventually wear out. But uh, in his youth, his father, we mentioned his father had been a tanner and a shoemaker. So he was familiar with how to craft goat skin and animal skin into clothing, which he did using a discarded nail as a sewing needle. Crafty. This was one of the other things where he ended up being maybe a little lucky. I'm sure he probably could have figured something else out. but there were enough discarded items that would wash ashore that he was able to find bits of metal and things like that to assist him in his survival. One of the other things that washed ashore one time was an empty barrel. Poor guy didn't get a drink from it, but he did get the metal hoops that were keeping the wooden planks in place. And he ended up crafting those into knives when his knives began to be dull and things like that. He had another source of metal. It's definitely like the movie Castaway with the FedEx packages. Yes. So Alexander Selkirk always kept his eye out for passing ships and he would create signal fires in the hopes that he could attract them and end up being rescued. At some point in his stay on the island, a total of two Spanish ships landed separately not together so two separate times and he was spotted by one of the passing ships and they ended up chasing him he ran because he recognized that the flags on the ship or the ship itself was a spanish vessel and his hobbies prior to being marooned on this island were stealing plundering and killing spanish people and so he took it and booked it up into the woods because He understood that there was only one reason that the Spanish would see that he had been marooned on this island, that at one point he would have been on a ship that was coming after their Spanish fleets and stealing from them, if he said any words to them, because he did not speak Spanish. And so he understood that and booked it up into the forest inland. They actually gave pursuit. He said that they actually shot at him, but using his deafness and skills, he evaded every bullet. He ended up climbing up a tree and hiding in a tree. And the Spanish, in their confusion, ended up underneath the tree and peeing and taking a potty break. They did not look up. Just naturally when you're peeing, like, say there's a group of dudes and you're peeing. You're looking, you know, everywhere besides Except one place. Besides (laughs) down. Like, 
you're looking up, you're looking to the side. Like they had to have seen him. <laughs> I was going to say, speaking from experience, you just look down and you don't look anywhere else. Put your blinders on <laughs> and just focus on your aim. <laughs> I, guess, I guess I approach nature peeing a little differently. <laughs> <laughs> They didn't have the typical urinals, and so back then, maybe their uh, views on the subject were a little bit different. <laughs> Could have definitely been some exaggeration on Alexander Selkirk's part again. He's like, wow, look at how dumb these guys are. <laughs> that was his English are better than the Spanish propaganda. Continued to blow up this world with propaganda. Spanish are not wise enough to look up while peeing. <laughs> Um, by this time, four years and four months have passed before he finally encountered an English vessel that passed by the island. Super happy that you know finally he was able to to see an English vessel pass through and exhausted from their journey, they decided to stop on the island. And he was, you know, super eager, or you would think he'd be super eager to return back to the British Isles, you know, after being gone for four years and and four months, but he decided that he wanted to join their privateering expedition. And guess who it was led by? None other than Woods Rogers that we have not mentioned before. So I don't know why I said that. <laughs> that was beautiful. I loved it. Everybody knows who Woods is, man. Woods, Woods Rogers, you know. <laughs> Everybody knows him. <laughs> what I meant to say is that who other was on this voyage was William Dampier, um, the chief navigator. Uh, Selkirk, who had just saw him, was like, eh, I'm going to go back to the island. <laughs> um, but Woods refused to have Selkirk go back. Uh, Dampier ended up vouching for the skills that Selkirk had, um, and he ended up being made a second mate on one of the ships of the voyage. If you don't remember, William Dampier was the head privateer of his initial voyage. He was not the captain that abandoned him to the island, but he was the head of that expedition. And it seems that uh, Selkirk bore a little bit of ill will towards his uh, old friends. And I love how petty that is. <laughs> Lack of friendship, yeah. <laughs> Where it's like, oh, finally, I'm overjoyed. Oh, Will, yeah, put me back. <laughs> I could I could see Skylar doing that. If I showed up on an island and Skylar was there, he's like, no. no. Next ship. I'm, st I'm staying here. <laughs> Four years isn't that long. I'll wait for the next passing English vessel. Thanks very much. You again. Ugh. <laughs> so Selkirk completed his trip around the globe and returned home in 1712. Eight years he was away from home, and half of that time was spent on the island. The latter half of the expedition was very profitable. His shares estimated at around 800 pounds, which Hayden kindly did an inflation calculation on this, and that equals 130,000 US dollars today. Quite a pretty profit. And he could have retired as a wealthy and slightly famous man, but no. <laughs> slightly famous. <laughs> when I say slightly famous, I just mean that he wasn't the one that's going around bragging about his own... Uh, expedition so other people knew about him because woods rogers actually made a publication about his circumnavigation of the globe 
And during that circumnavigation, that's when he ran into Alexander Selkirk in the middle of nowhere, basically. He runs into somebody that needed his help to get off the island, describes him as a wild man, but was very impressed with him. And so all of this description kind of goes around and people know Alexander Selkirk is a moderately famous person by name, but he wasn't the one that was out taking advantage of that fame because he decided, nah, I'm going back to sea. So he continued as a seaman for the rest of his life, but ended up succumbing to yellow fever near the Cape of Good Hope. All of his experiences near capes didn't really end well for him. (laughs) He ended up being buried at sea. You're just going to leave us with that. So any other thoughts? <laughs> <laughs> what a life. Yeah, what a he, life. He went home, he got semi-famous, got rich, and then he died at sea. That is correct. <laughs> this was an interesting story. I had fun with this one. Very different from the Ernest Shackleton story. He had, he had a lot more going for him. Alexander Selkirk had a lot more going for him. Got lucky in some ways, but uh, he seems like a pretty wily character nonetheless. Sure. I certainly liked his story because he was never he was never the like absolute leader and decision maker. He was just a mad lad. He was a mad lad. (laughs) (laughs) Like I picture him and I picture him being totally happy to, you know, have a mutiny, whatever goes on. Like he's just there for the kicks and giggles and the money. Whereas like Shackleton, you hear about his story and he's the absolute leader. His word is law. He's going to become famous just because of that. Whereas Selkirk could have been a name that was completely forgotten in history, except for his incredible story of survival. I like it. Well, I think that's going to bring us to the end of the episode here. So Skylar, close us out. All right, everybody. That's it. That's the show. Hope you enjoyed it. Give us a follow on Instagram at Finest Hours Podcast. If you have someone that you would like us to talk about and discuss, hit us up at our Gmail, Finest Hours Pod. Yeah, give us a follow on Apple, Google, and Spotify. Tell your friends we're back better than ever. Just back. (laughs) We're back. (laughs) And we will try to be better at doing these more frequently. We probably don't have a Scottish goodbye, but uh, it's been fun, folks, and uh, we will see you next time.